Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I am so excited. This is a first for our podcast. I am joined live with my co-host, Diana Clark. We are here in Vermont, joined by our favorite friend on the wall. Uh, I haven't named him yet, but it's a pig in the artwork. Um, And excited to have Tom McCullough on our podcast today. Welcome, Tom. Thanks very much, Arden. Glad to be here. We're excited to host you. Um, So for our listeners today, I thought I'd give a little bit of your background. So Tom is the chairman and CEO of Northwood Family Office, a multifamily office, one of the first that was created in Toronto. He has a boutique practice that's comprehensive, confidential, and customized to meet high net worth client needs. Uh, He is also the author of a book, or two books actually, one called Wealth of Wisdom, the top 50 questions wealthy families ask. I have to say, I love that because I tend to learn in bullet points and question and answer format more than long paragraphs. So I have a sense of how that that book would be formatted just perfectly for a reader like me. And the other book is Family Wealth Management, Seven Imperatives for Successful Investing in the New World Order. Tom has been in the wealth management field for over 30 years and had has had senior executive roles at RBC as well as other firms, and we're excited to have him join us today. So I'm going to start off with a question about transitions in wealthy families. I know that you serve your clients over the long term, and I'm curious to hear from your perspective, Tom, how do you support families during whether they're financial transitions or emotional transitions? What does that look like in your role? Yeah, that's a great question. Keep in mind that we are viewed as a financial firm. So people often come to us with the thought that their issues are financial. But of course, you would know very well that as you get into it, you realize there's many, many deeper strands than just financial. So, you know, what what kind of turmoil and transitions are we talking about here? It could be emotional turmoil, um, that is driven by family dynamics. So tension, disagreements, rejection, parent-sibling relationships, um, Christmas, it could be many things. It could be financial issues, uh, job loss, uh, business sale, stock market drop, um, too much money. Uh, people are overwhelmed by money often. often. Uh, we've got a couple of lottery winners and you, you can imagine the turmoil, people, somebody going from having literally nothing to having uh, $50 million. And then of course, personal turmoil as well. So stress, you know, guilt, physical, mental illness, all, all the things that you know well. But those are the types of transitions that I think we're, we're talking about. And it's uh, it's tricky to know where to go for some of those because you, the, if, if you're the person in turmoil, you have to assess yourself, what kind of person do I need? And of course, all these things are integrated. So here's the way I, we think about it. We think there's, there's um, sort of dealing with turmoil pre the event, I'll call it, and then during the event, and of course, an event is is suggests a one-off situation. Uh, obviously, it's it's often much more than that. But the so, for example, one of the things that we do when we think about the pre-event, and by the way, the pre pre-event is a little bit like an iceberg. You know, when you see the tip of an iceberg, 
Um, that's all you see, but well below that is all kind of the, 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 the pre-event work that you can do. So for example, positioning, when a client comes to us, they know that we're holistic and we, we in some ways we have the right to ask them all these more difficult questions. They sometimes come in and say, you know, which money manager should we use? And we're kind of, we basically say, we have no idea about any of that. Let's talk about you. Let's start with you. Mm-hmm. And, and really that's our whole discovery process where we ask whole series of questions you know what are the best three things you've done for yourself and your family in the last 12 months and how do you want to answer that uh, question a year from now and and uh you know what keeps you awake at night that one time recently we asked that question and what came out was the mental health of uh, a client's son and father at the same time so that that goes into the planning and then of course you develop a plan and we can talk about that a little bit later but essentially it's gathering facts and setting out goals and starting family conversations. And then during the event, which maybe is is sort of the origination of your question, but this pre-planning has to come first, is that you take all the, the pre-planning that you've done and you apply it. So you apply it with, you, you take the, the planning you've done and use the, that planning to help solve situations. But of course, it's not all, you know, just technical. It's a lot of it's emotional too. And how do you support a family and when do you call in specialists and so on. So we're literally at the rock face of all of these kinds of issues. Uh, one of the key things I've learned too is knowing what we are capable of and qualified to deal with, which is some of the pieces and what we're not capable and qualified uh, for and how do we, how and when do we call in specialists. Tom, that's a great answer and a comprehensive one. You know, one question comes to mind because I think it is interesting to hear that you have this inventory of questions that are beyond the financial realm when you're doing the discovery process with families. Do certain families come in and question, you know, why are you asking me these questions? Or, or, or you know, we thought we were coming to you for financial advice. Do you need to be involved in this? And, and how do you handle that? Because I think that's a big fear from advisors that we work with, that they will look like they're overstepping their bounds by getting too far into the personal, unless the client has invited them into that conversation. You know, I get this question all the time. People say, how do you get people to disclose sensitive information to you, whether it be financial or whether it be personal? And I am, I think they're always shocked to hear me say it's not an issue. Uh, I think there, I think there's several reasons for it. I think, um, um, perhaps we've developed some knack of building trust early on, but I think mostly it's the structure of the organization and the way we set ourselves up. We do, we, we don't sell anything. So it's a little bit like the difference in a conversation you'd have between talking to your doctor and talking to a pharmaceutical salesman. You know, one of them has a particular agenda to sell that particular pharmaceutical and your doctor theoretically is uh, there to help advise you on your situation. So we are, we position ourselves at the very beginning of the relationship, even before people become clients to say, we are your family office and we will look after all of these areas and we don't sell anything or objective. So that already um, brings people into a zone of trust and I'm, I can't tell you the number of times that people have said to us in the very first meeting we've ever had with them, or at least the, the very first discovery meeting, I've never told anybody this before, but, and they will, they will uh, tell us about a situation that will have relevance to their personal situation and, or their financial situation. Now, of course, it's like layers of the onion, you know, as we become more trusted, um, as we 
spend more time, uh, more of the layers of the onion will come off and more will be exposed. But it's very interesting, you know, because we're not positioned as a niche advisor, we do financial, we do investments, we do tax, we do insurance. We're viewed as the family's overall manager, general contractor is sort of the way we think about it or general practitioner. And because we're positioned that way, it's quite easy actually for us to play those transition roles and, and in many ways become the first uh, and main call by our clients. So I just want to back up just a minute and thank you again for joining us today. It's my first moment to speak. <laughs> um, so backing up to the pre-planning process, you're asking people these questions. I would imagine though that sometimes you don't have the luxury of that time, that sometimes a family is coming to you in a moment of crisis and you haven't been able to do the pre-planning let's say the death of a spouse young or unexpectedly mm -hmm. what kinds of things would you then want to implement yeah that's a really good question and i would say we have had the luxury if that's the proper word of having um uh having done some level of preparation for a lot of our clients but I'll give you a couple of examples of, of families who, um, for example, uh, a recent client who is recently divorced and uh, talked to her accountant and said, I need help. That client came to us and we, you know, there, there, there's several pieces of this. There's the actual technical work that needs to be done, but mostly the first connection is making a personal connection. How can we help? What do you need? What kind of reassurance do you need that things are going to be okay or they can be handled? And um, so we'll tick through with them. What are the things that are most concerning to them? Some of them we can answer and look after. Um, so for example, often people are worried about, you know, will I have enough money? And we can answer that. We can, we call it fact-based decision-making. We can bring an answer and, it, and people don't always take the answer because they're in emotional turmoil. It's difficult to think rationally when, you know, irrational things are happening around you. But, but the more facts we can bring to a situation over the course of time, they wash over people and people begin to realize that, yes, this is true. I am going to be okay on that level. Uh, we also, um, you know, in several situations have where it seems appropriate connected our, one of our clients in that situation with another client in a similar situation who's been through it. Um, that's happened with family suicide. It's happened with um, a divorce. And of course, both clients have to agree and it's not you know, the be all and the end all. It's really in, at a support level just to realize that they're not alone. And then of course, you know, depending on how serious and how urgent the situation is and how far out of our depth we feel, we will bring in specialists into those situations. So it's a, it's a bit play it by ear, but the, the more planning we can do ahead of time, uh, obviously the better. And when you think about planning in the context of life events, you know, there are certain life events we know are going to happen. We've, we've talked about one that may or may not happen in divorce. But if we think about planning as it applies to aging parents um, and planning applying to, you know, maybe you have a child with a substance use disorder or some type of um, learning disability, how do you think about it in those contexts? You know, one would be one something that we all know is going to happen. Our parents are going to age and likely their needs are going to change. And the other would be more in the category of it could be something that could happen. And if it does, there's really going to be a specialized set of resources needed. How do you help clients plan for that? 
Yeah, great, great question. Um, you'd think that in things that you know are going to happen, you know you're going to get old, you know you're going to die at some point. You, there's a, you know, some of those things are quite predictable. So you'd think to yourself, well, why don't we at least plan well for all the predictable things, and then you know, be resilient and have other preparations for things that we don't know are going to happen. My experience is most people don't even plan for the predictable ones. So my view is, our view as a firm is let's get at least the predictable ones put to bed. So that might be developing an aging plan. And um, you mentioned one of uh, the, the books that um, uh, I co-authored, which is Wealth of Wisdom, the top 50 questions wealthy families ask. We're doing a second version of that book uh, in the Wealth of Wisdom series um, called the top 50 or, or the top uh, practices of wealthy families. And these are all exercises families can do, but one of them is an aging audit. So going through all the things that you should think about from an aging standpoint, and some of them are obvious, you know, make sure your will is up to date and you've got powers of attorney, but other things are, you know, what do you like to do? And what's your view on where you want to live? And, and what if you can't make those decisions? And a whole series of things. So where there's predictable uh, um, outcomes, it's just really, really helpful to talk through those with families and it's part of our process it is it's not just oh if we think of it we'll raise it when we tell clients at the beginning of the process of working with us we tell them they will we will be raising the issue of an aging audit and the 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 issue of financial or, or mental capacity and all those types of things mm -hmm. the ones that are are um surprises even some of those surprises can be planned for a little bit so I'll just a very simple example is you know, what happens if there's some substantial lawsuit or substantial costly medical issue? You know, you, you, you build those things into a financial budget. You, you can't predict the emotional outcome of these, but at least you can uh, build a, a plan so you're not ruined financially, which adds to the emotional burden. So there are some basic planning things you can do in, in things that are, are not, um, uh, uh, you don't actually prepare for. And I think a lot of that too is just the, the resilience of the family and the family's ability to communicate and to deal with things that are surprises as they come along. And we're also involved in that process with, with them. I love how involved you are in the various domains of being a human, but I also know in my own experience and as a person who probably should be doing a really thorough aging audit at this point, <laughs> I'm a little resistant to doing that. And I have clients who are very resistant to talking about that kind of planning. Even though you set the stage well, how do you get that person who is 60, 65 saying, oh, I've got 20 more years of good life. I don't need to talk about this right now. That question comes up a lot. Um, I have to be really honest and say that I don't know if it's the way we present it or it is, uh, we don't have a lot of resistance to it. It's kind of, maybe our clients are realists. Um, you know, it's not a pleasant subject. And I certainly know that, you know, people, there's, there's uh, cultural norms where some cultures are particularly resistant to talking about it. But I would say in, in our, our families, um, you know, they're, I, I don't know, they're, they seem to be open. Now, I don't mean they're always open right away. Um, nobody likes to have a capacity assessment. Well, they don't mind it if it goes well, but they don't like it if it doesn't go well. It has all sorts of implications. 
So capacity assessments are ones that are that I would say are worrisome for people um, because it 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 starts a whole um, uh, you know chain of events that it, that that it's it's really hard to stop. Um, but I think things like uh, an aging audit and thinking about you know what do you want and what don't you want uh, is is often a good way to start the process. You know, and a lot of them will have seen these issues with their parents, and many of those things have not would not have gone well because there was resistance and they didn't do any planning. So often we'll say you know um, like for I'll give you an example. We'll often ask people if they've ever been an executor, and the odd you know sometimes they have and sometimes they haven't. But if they have been an executor, they know it's a horrible job. And so one of our planning processes is a, a family records inventory where we record all of the information that an executor would need to uh, be the executor of their parents' estate, for example. So it's a terrible, boring job to, um, to gather all that. We do as much of it as we can, and we have to answer some of those questions, but people are willing to do that because they see the consequences are terrible otherwise. Or what if you never want to leave your home and you want to age in place and it's never been talked about. And, and uh, so I find people, when you propose, you know, like this is what can happen if you don't plan, I find people have been, you know, um, willing in general. And there's the odd ones that aren't, but we, I don't know, I guess we tend to bring them around over time. That's great. You've certainly contributed in a writing capacity, which I really admire because I know it requires a certain level of discipline. You know, what prompted you and Keith to write this book and to think about the concept of the wealth of wisdom. Right. So my uh, co-author is a um, fellow named Keith Whitaker. He is the best writing partner I could imagine having. He is, uh, first of all, a great writer and has become a great friend and is, is wise beyond his, uh, his years. And uh, his, his organization is actually called Wise Council Research. So it fits, <laughs> fits very well. <laughs> but um you know, it's interesting. They say you should write the book you want to read. And I've been in this field for many, many years, uh, 30 plus years. And many people have asked me many questions over time. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to, to coalesce all those questions into one place and have them available for people? I mean, yes, everything's on the internet technically, but it's a big job to go and find those things. And and who would know what the top 50 questions are? I know and Keith knows because we've been in this field for so long. And then I've always had this view of, you know, one person doesn't know everything. And the world and the life of wealthy families is extremely integrated and everything is context. And um, so we thought, you know, what if we identify these questions and instead of answering them all ourselves, which we could given our experience, what if we went to the person in the world that we thought was most qualified to answer that question and get them to answer it and then co, um, collate, coalesce all of those into one volume. And the, the response to that, uh, has been fantastic, both in terms of, you know, book sales for a very, very niche little book. Uh, but also just the reaction from people and the number of people I know who keep it handy on their desk and refer to it as a reference. So, um, so it's really uh, just just been really exciting to to see. And I we've built all sorts of connections, and 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 a lot of the contributing authors have 
received many calls from clients or, or from readers directly who want to delve more deeply into a particular area. And so I, I alluded uh, earlier on in the call that we're working on our second book in the Wealth of Wisdom series, which is called uh, Top Practices for Wealthy Families and Their Advisors. And it's a series of, I think it's going to be 50 or 60 practices, exercises, self-assessments, uh, checklists that families can use themselves or with an advisor to address issues. One of them is an aging audit. One of them is if you're concerned about um, mental capacity in a family member, how do you go through and identify these issues? How do you choose good trustees? Uh, how do you figure out um, you know, what your asset allocation should be? How do you talk to a professional advisor about that? What can you do to pre prepare yourself? How do you send your kids off to university? Some kind of sending ceremony that is registers in their mind that this is significant. So we didn't put very big constraints on people. We, we asked the people that we respect and said, what is a practice that you have used? It's kind of like a great recipe. You know, what's something that you've cooked for your family for years that they love that you can pass on? And so we didn't uh, shoehorn them into a particular, you know, exact format. We said, what's a practice that you have used with, with families that um, you can share, whether it's a family member themselves that's sharing it or an advisor to families. So it's, uh, we have virtually all of the, um, the uh, chapters in hand. We're in the process of editing them and putting them into uh, sections and writing our piece of it. And it's uh, due to go to the publisher in early February of 2022. So we're very excited about that. Wow, you're busy too. If it's back in your hands, you have your job. The easy Correct. part of that book is sending out the request. Now you have to look at it all, right? Well, there's a little bit of herding cats involved in uh, right. in that process, as right. you can imagine. There's probably about 75 or 80 people because there's some co-authors. So there's that's that's a lot of cat herding. Uh, people have been fantastic, but you know, people have other lives and and are busy. So uh, and it takes a lot of follow up. So it's um. It, but it's a challenge. It's it's a great challenge, and the wonderful thing is just honestly all the fantastic people we've we've met and gotten closer to in this process. That's great. So I want to take you into the wayback machine <laughs> and imagine that you are twenty six years old again, or twenty five, and you are just starting out in your professional career. What advice would you have for that man? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give some context to your uh, readers and listeners that I um, just had my first grandchild three, four months ago. So I'm at that stage of life. And so thinking back to uh, age 25 is definitely a, uh, a time machine that would have to work pretty hard to get itself back there. <laughs> but um, so what would I say to my 25-year-old self? I would say... Um, <laughs> two things be easier on myself and others i would say uh practice more grace both to myself and to others um you know it's a little bit like that um, um iceberg analogy i was using you know when you see the tip of the iceberg when you see somebody you know at the office or at your home or or in a situation all you're seeing is the little bit of them that they're showing you but what is down below and it's years of trauma history self-doubt they had a bad morning all these things and i just think that the world would be a better place um, with more grace 
given to others certainly and and uh, to myself. It's funny, I, I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but about 15 years ago, I was crossing the street in uh, Toronto where I live and a, a, a truck, a, a woman stepped off um, the curb and maybe on a yellow light and she probably shouldn't have. And a truck was coming around the corner and jammed on his brakes and they each gave the other the finger and walked on. It was a 10, five second interchange. And I've thought about that since that what made them both react so strongly mm -hmm. to that little tiny, you know, uneventful mistake that probably each of them made. And it's that huge thing underneath the water that all of them carry. And I just think that if we all responded to each other with more grace, um, myself included, would be better. Second thing I would say, and I'll answer uh, um, quicker on this one, is uh, take more risks. Um, some people would think I probably have taken risks. I started a business 18 and a half years ago, left a, a, you know, a corporate job, senior corporate job to start a business. So that's one risk, but I would take more. Um, life is uh, more interesting and exciting and uh, you develop further. Uh, so I would take more risks and advise people to do the same. Those are great lessons to end on. I, I love the idea of practicing grace, not only towards others, which feels always good to say, but to yourself, because my experience has been they're inextricably linked. If I'm more graceful towards myself, it's much easier to, to experience that to others. So thank you, Tom, for your wisdom, your, your thoughtfulness. We really appreciated having you on this morning. Thank you, Diana, for joining me live here in Vermont. And thank you to our guests for tuning in to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. If you're so inclined, please give us a positive review uh, and a five-star rating, rating on your podcast platform of choice. And we hope you'll tune in to our next episode. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.